The Jeremy White Show. Our next guest is a member of one of the most influential and acclaimed acts in musical history. Over 75 million records sold. Five-time Grammy Award winner and an inductee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He'll be bringing his The Cracked Lens and a Missing String Tour to Toronto, Montreal, and Quebec City on October 5th, 6th, and 7th. Very few tickets are still available at andysummers.com. Welcome to the show for the first time, the one, the only, Andy Summers. How are you doing? Thank you. I thank you. I thank you very much. So great to see you and great to meet you. I've been a fan for pretty much my whole life at this point. So this is pretty awesome. And I'm young, so. <laughs> right, since babyhood. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Adam, I, I told him that I was going to be interviewing you. And uh, he immediately wanted me to ask you a pretty simple question. He said, how do classical and jazz guitarists wind up playing rock and roll and new wave and punk at that? Yeah, it's well, it's a good question, you know, because um, it, it comes out of curiosity, maybe. Mm. But to play all those things, of course, is a lot of work, and you have to hone your skills. I started as a kid, you know, like anybody, you learn the first few chords, but my ear, my went to the more harmonically evolved music of jazz and jazz, you know, all the, all the incredible lines that the American jazz guitar players I was listening to were playing, you know. Mm. so and that was more difficult that took more work but uh, of course it it helped me develop my ear at that age 16 where you're, you're taking a 33 and a third vinyl album and reducing it to 16 and a eighth or whatever and and trying to get those solos an octave down that's where I started and I think a lot of guys did in those days because we didn't have this incredible industry of how to play the guitar that exists in today's world it's amazing yeah. I had a, a very scrappy little book with three or four chords in it and uh, looked over other kids' shoulders to try and figure out what that little triangle was that they were playing. That's where it started. If you had had access to the internet at the time, where do you think your guitar skills would be at this <laughs> at this time? I don't know. You know, it's it's such a, it's so insane now, you know, that I, I actually am not someone who goes on the internet and looks at all guitar players on YouTube yeah. because it's, it's such a distraction. I think I have a very distinctive style. I'm a great guitar player and I don't need to see every new kid on the block that's coming up. I stay interested, but I try to keep my own, you know, mental world of the guitar. Uh, because otherwise, if I start going on YouTube and doing all that kind of stuff, you know, people go, what do you listen to? And you listen to music all the time. No, you know, I saw someone else get asked this question. This head, the musician's head, you know, is sacred space. And I don't want to have all kinds of crap flowing in and out of it all the time. Because I have to I have to think about my own stuff. So that's really the reason. Maybe it's selfish, but there's a it's a sort of um self-preservation in terms of keeping your own thing in your head. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because Eddie Van Halen was infamous for being that guy that wouldn't listen to any music. Like every time you do an interview, people are like, "What do you listen to?" He's like, "Honestly, the last record I listened to was like Peter Gabriel's." So I don't listen to radio. Like when I drive, I don't listen to any music. I listen to my car. I don't want outside influences. I just want my yeah. own music in my he's own head. The same, he's a, and he's a very different stylist for me, and he was one of the all-time greats as far as I'm concerned. I love Eddie Van Halen's playing, and um, were you, you know, competitive I, with Eddie in the '80s at all? No, he loved the police. I didn't love Van Halen, but I loved him and his guitar playing. He, I mean, I, th I think he was really one of the real greats. Mm. You know, um, kind of a genius. 
that he did, you know, his whole tapping. But he was just such a natural musician. Yeah. But he's absolutely right about, you know, but he's not the guy you would think would say that. But, see, it's a real thing. And somebody else, actually, just because I, I just did a tour and this guy had been touring with him and we talked a lot because we had to travel a lot, mm-hmm. is uh, Adrian Ballou, another great guitarist that plays with a lot of people, you know, doesn't listen to anything. And wow. nor did anyone in the band because I say may it, the projection is from the public onto the guitarist, let's say, that they're listening to all kinds of shit. We're not. Mm-hmm. My listening is very special, arcane, rare, unexpected. I'm not putting on pop records. Why would I want to do that? I keep or, or keep the cre- I don't want to spoil the creativity if there is any. So yeah talking about the guitar just briefly i mean like you know was it weird for you to go from playing all those jazz progressions and like you know those extended chords and stuff to just playing you know three chord punk songs yeah and it didn't last long (laughs) it lasted about five minutes if you want to go back over historically you're right because in 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 kind of an interesting way it does all tie together you know when i got together with Stuart and sting there wasn't much there, you know, hardly any music at all. And all it was was, you know, Stuart could, had figured out he could use two fingers and make sort of the bottom, you know, if you use one finger on the E string and then one on the fifth string, you know, and sort of diametrically opposed, it sounds like rock. So there were a few songs that were sort of knocked out like that, but there was not really much music and it was very fast because it was supposed to be punk. Yeah. When I turned up and we had to, you know, play together anyway, we were sort of all hired together as a, a job. And then I'm the guitar player. And of course, I've got all this other stuff under my fingers. And it immediately interested Sting, like, okay, now that's a chord. Oh, now that's interesting. And he had the ears for it, maybe because he came out of a kind of a jazz rock background and he's a great natural musician. And I had all this stuff and I wasn't going to just play these pretty stupid you know one six four five chord sequences i started to move it and hence the you know the music of the police was born that's really that that's it in an eggshell yeah what was it about the telecaster that made you gravitate towards the telly well i didn't gravitate towards the telly the telecaster fell from heaven into my lap actually (laughs) (laughs) i was um just prior to the police, I was at college in California. Mm. I had a brief few years before I returned to England. And, um, you know, I had a little job teaching guitar. Uh, it was the only way I could survive because I didn't want to work. I was very much into practicing, 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 and also going to college. I was getting a proper university music education. So you anyway, were, day, you were sitting the... on your bed, you know, practicing and studying. Yeah. And anyway, one day this kid came into my little place where I was teaching and he had a telecaster. He asked me if I wanted to buy it. I can't remember his name even. I said, yeah, you know, I only had a classical guitar. I took that telecaster home. I said, let me just play it tonight. Man, it was an incredible guitar. And it was like, you know, angels of the Lord beaming down on me. And that was the moment. And I got it, and I had—I don't know how I got the money exactly to pay off this kid the two hundred dollars for the guitar. Of course, the guitar became the guitar for the next year. All the police albums were recorded on it, right. on every concert, and it was the iconic guitar. It was actually a great guitar. And uh, <clears throat> the ultimate story of that is that Fender eventually 
reproduced it exactly you know scratch for scratch and it was a and it sold out immediately so it's amazing how they do that in their custom shop oh incredible they came to my studio and they sort of they videoed it they photographed it very close they measured all the scratches and dents they made a movie of it they took the whole thing apart which gave me a heart attack looked at the wiring <laughs> i mean man it's they went yeah yeah like no they were great and i've had a really good uh, relationship with fando and so yeah anyway there you go i got lucky i got the lucky guitar and it, you know carried me through all of that to bring it back to eddie van halen they did the same thing to the frankenstein guitar they and they did it all yeah. by photos apparently they didn't even get the real yeah. thing until they gave it to ed and he was like okay yeah you're doing a good job here's the real one now you can do even better <laughs> mm. oh I, yeah he was jealous over it yeah mm. Uh, speaking of that, just oh, hang on one second, man. Yeah, just one sec. Hang on. Yep. Of course, Andy Summers is going to be bringing the big cracked lens and a missing string tour to Toronto, Montreal, and Quebec City on October fifth, sixth, and seventh. Uh, there's still some tickets available. You want to go check this out? It's going to be a really great, fantastic night of music, storytelling. Going to be showing off all of his great photography as well. You can visit andysummers.com for all of the details, and you can check all of that out. Um, just to talk about guitar tone, real quick. Um, Everybody talks about, you know, in the 80s, Eddie Van Halen, Neil Sean, you know, Tom Schultz. I rarely hear your guitar tone ever talked about as some of the greats. And when you hear Every Breath You Take or those, you know, slaps on Roxanne, like, to me, those guitar tones are iconic. Yeah. And uh, where did you come up? Where did that guitar tone? Well, where did you yeah, conceive I can that tell, tone? Well, partly from the guitar itself. And the, uh, my ear went to these things. When I got the... Uh, telecast it was a very this was a period when it, a lot of guys were like ripping guitars apart and changing pickups and rewiring you know it became a very nerdy kind of thing and and the little telecaster was uh, one of those where it had an inbuilt overdrive unit um it had a, a humbucker on the front by the neck an incredible um i guess slightly overwound um mm. So it was pretty uh, hot pick up at the back yeah single bar and um but it had a five-way switch and i could get this incredible out of phase tone on the sort of fourth position so i mean and i've never found another guitar that was as good as that that did it like that one did it it, it was sort of a magical guitar well i've still got it mm -hmm. uh, i'm not telling you where it is <laughs> <laughs> Love oh, that's theirs. Uh, I'm not coming for it. No, no, you know, people go, you will sell your telly. I go, no way, no. man. I mean, that's a, that's a less like soaring off your own leg. Why would I do that? It was the most important thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. You see that all the time, rock stars, you know, auctioning off their guitars or selling off their collection. And like, I'm like, well, that, that, why would you do that? Like, okay, money. Yeah, great, well, I'm one of those, and and I haven't done it. And my manager, keep, you know, eyes on the dollar. He's going, why don't you sell all your guitar? I, I don't know what the last count is. It's about 220. I sold off 200 in England. You know, I've, you know, you can imagine I get given many guitars. I buy some, but I am not a guitar freak at all. I'm not a nerd, you know, like. You're not a gearhead. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're tools for me. Yeah, I, I appreciate them. And I've got some very beautiful old sort of antique things like, you know, old, uh, f hole guitars i've got d'angelico that i pulled out yesterday you know, i've got you know, a number of these things but i i have to believe this is my philosophy that 
they're getting made better than they used to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just because it says 1958, yeah, it may have something because they tended to overwind the pickups. I actually like to think that all that knowledge of all these years of uh, guitar making, building guitar pickups has gotten better and the guys really know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think some really interesting guitars are being made these days. And, uh, you know, I have a sort of mild interest in it, but I'm not a nerdy freak. I'm I'm a player. I'm into music. Yeah. I'm sure it's been covered before, but I'm just curious because I have no idea. Like, how did you get the guitar tone for the intro for Every Breath You Take and that whole thing? Because it was the early age, early days of, like, super processed, modulated guitar with chorus yeah. and... Well, it's a little slightly tragic story with that because we put it, you know, I mean, when I, you know, that song, Everybody Take, was going in the trash. We didn't like it. Stuart and Sting could not agree on where the drums and bass were going to sit with the song. Uh, and it wasn't going to make it onto the album. But we, you know, we needed the material. And, you know, the famous story is Sting just turned to me and said, well, go on, go in there, make it your own. And of course, I had all this sort of stuff under my fingers. You know, I mean, I was the police stylist, guitarist, if you like. Yeah. And I went in and I got that lick almost. In, it was like one take. Everybody stood up and cheered and clapped. Um, but that was done on the Telecaster. Now, there was a slight weird thing that happened with it because it, I thought, God, that's great. You know, it, was, it sounded so good in Montserrat. We moved up to Canada to, I don't know, we even know why we did it, to... Um, Le Studio? Mixed the album, Le Studio. And the engineer did all this shit on it, like, and put, like, icy echoes. And I went, mm. I walked into here, you know, we would give him a chance to do the mix. Mm -hmm. Then we'd come in and go, okay, don't like that, move that, make the bass louder, wherever the kick's not loud enough. And he had fucked up the uh, guitar sound. I, I was absolutely furious. And I said, man, I don't know what you did, but you've ruined the guitar sound. Take all that crap off. And I think we tried to do something like to get the, I think we had two sets of tapes to get the original tapes back. So wow. I remember how it was in Montserrat and we pretty much got it back to, you know, what, what it needed to be. But it was a heartbreaking moment, you know, when he almost lost this incredible sound I had, which was probably, you know, the Telecaster through a couple of twins or something. Mm -hmm. Because it's got that almost like an like an Eventide like harmonizer kind of like chorus yeah. on it or you know so I was curious like what you used. I don't know. If, I don't think we had Eventide harmonizers then. It, yeah, it was, it was it pretty was more soon. straightforward. Yeah. Hmm. Do you remember what it could have been like for the for the chorusy sound? I well, I was probably using um, Roland chorus. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was in. They were throwing as much equipment at me as they could. <laughs> yeah. So. And it's funny how that guitar tone sort of laid the template for like a lot of the studio guys going forward. I mean, like the Dan Huffs and the Michael Landau's, they all wanted that like clean, modulated, yeah. chorusy sound. I mean, what did you think of Def Leppard, the the song Hysteria when it came out, and that lick was a little too similar? Well, that, I I haven't heard it, but um, yeah, we got ripped off. In other words, I, I'll look into that. Maybe we can have a lawsuit against them. That'll be fun. You've never heard Hysteria by Def Leppard? Oh, I'm going to play it in a minute. I'm going to. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That is like one of the most like um, everybody talks about. And it's actually like, you know, Phil Collin, he's a huge fan of the police. And he said that, you know, when we were writing the song, it was basically like a direct homage to the police. What's it called? Hysteria? Hysteria. Yeah. Let me see. I'm gonna, I'll see if I can play you. I'll play you a snippet of it, actually. Hold on. Connect my phone here. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's got that chorusy like, you know. That's the tone, but you listen to the intro. Okay, here you go. I got it here for you. 
Check it out. <laughs> yeah, okay. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's pretty close, yeah. Pretty close. I mean, they do it very well. They've, they're a very good band. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, in some ways you can get all upset about it or you can go, all right, well, they made a little tribute to us. That's nice. I'll, I'll, I won't kill them in court. <laughs> no, it's definitely an homage because Phil is a huge fan of the band and he talks about it all the time. He gives police like, huge credit. That's very nice. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I, but it's weird, though. I mean, like, how, come, how can you come up with such an iconic guitar lick like that and then Sting just gets all the writing credit? Well, you, you've... I don't can't even get into that because it, it's a very contentious moment that's yeah that is very much alive at the moment. So I can't really say much about it. Um, yeah, I mean that's that the happened, other half of the song. That happened that, a lot that, in the eighties, though, right? I mean, like somebody would come in and then, like you know, the band. It was if if had the band not been together, like that sound wouldn't have been created. So I never understood like how you know one person got a writing credit versus the guitar player and this and that. It was always yeah. So weird. Well, watch the press. Let's see what happens in the next year. Oh boy! Well, I can tell you, mate. That's gonna um, be exciting. Yeah, well, these things come up. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, but uh, that song was going in the trash until I played on it, and that, that's all there is to it. And I think that's 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 kind of composition, absolutely. Yeah, no one else was playing that guitar part. You know, it's apparently the biggest, like the most played song of all time on radio. It is. It's a past a billion. I know that they they call it. Hey, no, just past a billion and a half. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm the most guitar played guitar player of all time. Te yeah, technically, I was in are. the eighties too. People go, you know, I walk around going, I'm the most highly paid and the most played in the world. My mother would be very proud. <laughs> so would my dad. Who knew? Yeah. Um, I know we're running out of time, but uh, the Cracked Lens and a Missing String Tour. Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City, and of course, two dates around uh, the U.S. and Canada, October 5th, 6th, and 7th, andysummers.com to get your uh, tickets. Um, another question, just really quickly, since it's the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, how did you end up in, how was <laughs> it playing with Mike Oldfield's uh, Tubular Bells? Well, that was another, you know, it was a kind of a breakthrough moment for me, but there's a little magical element to it because... I was in London, you know, there was sort of the punk scene, which I wasn't really involved in, but I had come back from the States. I was playing my ass off and I had that Telecaster and I started to get known around London. Mm. Okay, there's this guy, you know, and he's got this, you know, and I got people started to pick up on me. I got put in the music papers a lot and I wasn't really playing with anybody except, oh, I was with Kevin Coyne, I think. And he was on Virgin Records. So Virgin Records then in this early period was a big scene. There was this yard where everybody would go and it'd be really hip and cool to hang out at Virgin. You know, Richard Branson, they're all just coming up. And I was like, almost like a pet. I was in there all the time. They all liked me. And um, Mike Oldfield had tubular bells and it was um, number one straight for two years. And then uh, Mike was not playing it. He was kind of an introvert. He stopped going out to do it, you know. Mm. So they asked me. I was there on the scene, you know, right place, right time. So I got sent up to the north of England to play with the Newcastle Symphony Orchestra. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm highly competent. I learned all this shit I had to play. You know, it's broken into two halves. I'm playing with an orchestra. So, um, so I did it, you know, and it was – so I was sort of noted for it. And um, – 
but in the actual moment on that night i did the first half then there was an intermission so this band came on stage a local band to the sort of intermission filler they were called last exit and they played jazz rock mm. but there was a guy playing bass and singing and it was sting so i listened to them about five minutes went mm, yeah okay you know and then i kind of went off and had a cup of tea before i had to come back <laughs> so okay fast forward three months later i'm back in london and you know sort of scraping around doing this that and the other and this guy wanted a format well it's a bit of a complicated story anyway he took me to the studio to play with two other guys in swiss cottage in london and we we're playing away and i think well they're young they're they're okay i don't know they're kind of rushing a bit there's what it is what what it is mm -hmm. but i was being cheerful and sort of playing along with them i had my telecaster and a fender twin and then we stopped for a bit and the singer came up to me the guy was doing whatever singing basically said yeah man um I don't know if you remember me, you know, like I was in that band last exit and my name's Sting, you know. I went, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember you now. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there was the moment, you know, that's what it produced. Wow. Well, actually, there's another bit to that story because I was playing around London, then I was playing with a guy called Kevin Ayers. And again, this is like the magic of Newcastle. Ended up in Newcastle went to this hotel where band stayed we're so there was another band there called curved air so i was playing with kevin air so the two bands got together and i remember laying on the floor in this room musicians hanging out very late at night and there was this young guy there like talking could talk the hind legs off a mule and it was stuart copeland <laughs> he was telling me he was 22 he was telling me how to get all these things i could go down this road to this factory and get a free guitar and my daughter and he blah 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 anyway so i bet both sting and stuart in newcastle three months later we're in this rehearsal studio and i had no idea where they were they both introduced themselves to me and stuart goes oh, i remember we were lying on the floor talking so you have to wonder about stuff like that like now was this meant to be because you know within short order i was in that band you know which had absolutely no future whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> and then divine intervention yeah then you know thank you thank the lord that's just absolutely incredible to hear a story i mean like today you know you'd you interview a band like yeah we met each other on TikTok and we messaged each other but no back in the day you you had to go out there and meet people oh really now it's TikTok talk yeah i think we're on TikTok. you know not easy to get on actually but we are on it now finally yeah huh. all the social media uh, very di different just talking about that i mean like, with all the different exits the band would take musically over those five records i mean had you guys made another and especially with all the technological advances in music i mean like, where do you think the band would have gone well yeah i mean um yeah, I mean, the, the bare naked truth is Sting wanted to do it on his own, so he left the band. That's all, you know, I can't put it any more boldly than that. Of course, we could have gone on. There's plenty of creative juice left. We could have been like you 2 for instance, who, you know, they got their bad. I mean, but, you know, it, maybe there's a difference in something like this. You know, you 2 I think they'd all grown up together. They'd known each other since they were like 11 years old. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case with the police. We all came as semi-adults. We weren't we we're in our 20s we weren't you know like 11 years old growing up right. in soccer so i think the bond was slightly different it was a band that was sort of thrown together to be a band you know we didn't have this history together uh no i felt very 
very sad and damaged that, that you know the band got broken up and then it took me a while to fully recover as if you like well maybe you never recover comes on because that was a very intense bonding I mean we put we played for about eight years but it was like we played for 50 because we were so incredibly successful we're probably the most successful band of all time maybe apart from the Beatles I don't think every, anyone's ever beaten our figures or numbers or the number of people we played to but we did start with absolutely nothing and you know so it's a legacy it's something to be very proud of it lives on constant you know it hasn't gone away um you know yeah we were blessed you know so it's almost like being in a long relationship with uh oh it is know, it's a relationship it's never gonna leave me until the day they chuck me six feet under that's it it'll always be in our lives but you know it's something to be proud of we made great music you know I wish it had gone longer because I think there was so much more juice in it but um yeah we did the reunion tour you know and that was fantastically successful yeah so a lot of money to I'll bring this tour to Canada people will hear some uh special arrangements of police songs plus all the great visuals this is really an audio visual show mixed multimedia there are some funny stories it's it's going it's going very well I'm done um I think 12 or 14 shows so far in the states and I'm really looking forward to Canada yeah because it's always great up there I have very warm feelings for it um, yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, what can fans expect from this? I mean, like, are you gonna be showing off a lot of your photography and stuff too? That's what it is. Yeah, it's mostly. It's gonna be. I have the actual setup is I have a full size cinema screen. Okay. And uh, yeah, full size cinema screen shows all this projection of um, sequences of photography that I've made. Each one's got a name, and I play special guitar music to it. Hmm. Some with backing tracks, some solo. I mean, it's a very rich show in terms of you know guitar playing people want to really hear guitar stuff you're going to get a full load yeah and it's really come a long way since i first started it's gotten much more sophisticated i don't know i say the word slick but we we've kind of got it now and every time we do a show yeah we get little things we're adding little bits now right we're not like the gigantic thing but I, i'm i'm pleased with where we've got to with it yeah i mean you're going up there and you've got like a script but you're I kind of a script yeah, it's all set out yeah no it's not you know I mean I am actually improvising on the guitar because I get a setup but yeah. every night I play differently you know right oh, I, I get certain little licks I go oh well that was always good you with mean this you're not going up there and miming like all the other uh, rock acts these days <laughs> I do not mime I'm hardcore player I'm playing <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of bands that are doing that these days I mean you got so many of them that are playing arenas and it's it's the same Pro Tools track every night I mean, like, it's, it's not really rock and roll is it is that what they're doing no of, I, mean, I couldn't even consider that I mean I would find that incredibly lacking in satisfaction you know I'm a great guitar player but my whole life devoted to it trying to be the best I can and I want to get up on stage and do that I don't want to mind to it god what an empty experience that to me would be soul destroying yeah yeah I I kind of I tend to agree you know I, there's the argument yeah. for some of it being you know accompaniment and you know it helps fill up the sound but there's a lot of yeah you know there. what I'd say why don't you learn to play your fucking instrument you know sorry <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree yeah. uh Summers.com to get your tickets uh Toronto Montreal and Quebec City October 5th 6th and 7th I'm definitely going to come out to the Montreal show because this sounds Montreal. absolutely phenomenal like this sounds a great oh, yeah. night 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being up there. In all the touring I'm doing, you know, US, Canada and that. And I'm going to Mexico on Sunday to do three shows down there. But Canada, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, good O. An all-new episode of The Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. 